winner for this category. Well, 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 well. Truly, we're exposing ourselves as having done zero research on Tina, the Tina Turner musical. To say that I'm disappointed is like one of the biggest understatements of this year. I literally think this is worse than being nominated with other people. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Off to Broadway, the podcast where we deep dive into anything and everything musical theater from the comfort of my car. I'm Tara. I'm Stefania. And in today's episode, we're talking all about the 2020 Tony nominations. That is three words I don't think I thought I would say this year. Well, we thought we would say them maybe six months ago, and then we thought we would never say them. So Yes. Um, Full disclosure, it is a Friday night when we were recording this so that we can get this episode up on Monday when you guys are hearing it. So we are in pajamas it's a pajama party i am drinking wine (laughs) i have a nice uh apple cider with me we're ready to dive in and talk about how we feel about these nominations this award ceremony in general some snubs some surprises we're we're gonna talk about it all so get ready we are on this tony nominations ride starting right now (laughs) in about an hour after we finished our drinks uh come back for our true opinions I would say. All right. So this week, last week, I guess, if you're listening to this uh, live, was the 2020 Tony nominations that was virtually broadcast on YouTube. James Monroe Iglehart was giving the nominations. And we found out in the summer, I don't know exactly what month it was, that the cutoff for this year's Tony Awards would be February 19th. Normally, it's the end of April. This year, obviously different because so many shows didn't get to open. Um, they really snubbed West Side Story right there because they opened on the 20th. So, right, so let's, there you go. Like, let's talk about the reasoning for that. The stated reasoning for that is, so the cutoff date was February 19th. West Side Story opened February 20th. And then Girl from the North Country, I think, opened March 5th. Yes. I think you're Uh, right. Yeah. March 5th. And they cut it off at February 19th because they felt that voters hadn't had enough time to see those shows that opened after that and wanted to give them the best opportunity or give them a fair fighting chance. I mean, West Side Story had a three-month preview process. I can guarantee enough people saw it. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But, you know, you don't want to judge something off its preview process. I don't know. It's, It's weird. It's... The whole... The whole thing is weird this year because... Right now, it feels like a weird time to even be talking about this. We're so far removed from the last time theater was truly running. And I Mm -hmm. also think we're very far removed from when it's going to be fully back. So we're in a very, very weird sort of limbo right now. It does feel kind of weird that this is happening um, in the same breath of like the Olivier Awards and the announcements that have come out from the West End. Right, the Olivier Awards, so they had announced their nominations back Back in in March or whatever. Yeah. And now we're only getting the winners this month. So these people have known they're nominated for seven months, basically, at this point. But didn't they also put out that like... The next Olivia Awards will be 2022. Yeah, they won't have one in their regular schedule this upcoming year. And I don't see a Tony Awards for another few years after this. So, Which is partially why I think that they were like, let's celebrate now. But, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there's a lot going on in the world. There's an election that's coming up. The world, the state of the world in general is just like kind of chaotic right now. And obviously, there's been a lot um, in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement, which the American Theatre Wing has been very silent about. So it's just kind of a weird time to be like, hey, remember us and like this big production that you guys put so much money into? Like, we're still here and we still want to go. 
and the actors and the theater community are like, I don't know if we want to still go. It's so strange because at this, this is something that a lot of performers have dreamed about or have, you know, scheduled their lives around their shows around working towards this Tony Awards. And then this season's Tony Awards feel very much like an afterthought or very much like there will always be an asterisk next to the names of the people who won this Tony Award or next to the award that they win. So I I am like super sad for the everyone who's missing out on the experience that they thought they might have, you know? And mm-hmm. even even people who were nominated or who will win will probably have or I think if I was in their position would have really mixed feelings towards it. Yeah. It's also interesting like timing-wise because just to give you guys perspective of our behind the scenes work, we have been waiting months for a mm-hmm. date for these nominations and basically had left open windows of episode dates thinking that there would be a Tony Award nominations. We have obviously broken schedule to put this episode out, but it's been very silent from the Tony Awards official website, official Twitter, everything official. And we still don't have a date for an actual Tony Awards ceremony. No, I think the rumor maybe is that they're looking for a network to partner with to air them and they don't have one yet. Um, Mm. I don't know if they're going to get one. Because I, I think when we had discussed... I remember you sending a tweet in our group chat being like, content, the Tony Awards are (laughs) happening this year. And my first thought was like, is this going to be a CBS thing? I don't think so. Is this going to be like streamed on the Tony Awards YouTube page basically as they did the nominations? Like maybe that's the way to do it. Unknown. Mm -hmm. Okay, should we we get into these nominations? Yeah, I think we should. I think the place to start is best. Well, let's start with best revival. (laughs) <laughs> um, of a musical best revival oh of a musical. wow do you know something i don't know <laughs> no this category has zero nominees <laughs> zero nominees yeah because as we said west side story opened on the 20th so obviously does not count and wow what was the other show company and carolina change did not company was in previews and carolina change hadn't started previews yet so ugh. company was in like second preview or third preview it was very... they, they were like early they were early they were still in the yeah. changing the show stage yeah. Um, so since we can't obviously talk about revival of a musical, also we did not do our normal disclaimer. We are really not talking about plays on this episode. No. Um, you might hear a couple things from us about plays, but we are mostly mm-hmm. talking about musicals. So yeah. let's get into it. Our three best musical nominees. So it's Jagged Little Pill, Moulin Rouge the Musical, and Tina the Tina Turner Musical. We have seen two of the three shows. Yes, you're right. We've seen two of the three. We were really excited because if this season had gone as usual, we would have seen so many of the shows yeah it um, would have been amazing out of town here in toronto on tour just like yeah. fun stuff um so the glaring omission in the best musical category is the fourth original musical that opened this season which is the lightning thief now we were lucky enough to see the lightning thief uh at a tour stop here in toronto back in 2018 yeah like march 2018 yeah. ish and uh then we were really excited when we heard it was going to broadway excited for that cast and um so as they were one of the only original musicals and the only musical with an original score i think we expected to show up maybe a few places to say that i'm disappointed is like one of the biggest understatements of this year <laughs> if you listen to our cult musical episode if you listen mm-hmm. to our year in review last year like we really did enjoy the lightning thief um we will address the elephant in the room this is a kids show right but 
Just because it's a kid's show doesn't mean that it's a bad show. The Lightning Thief is a kid's musical, and a lot of times things that are targeted towards young people are mistaken as being bad. And I think the answer is that they're maybe just not for you, you know? Yeah. And there is a difference. And, you know, you cannot like something or not enjoy something, but it feels very... And I don't know if it was on purpose. I, I doubt it was. Oh, I think it's on purpose. You think it's on purpose? It feels very yeah. targeted that they literally showed up in absolutely zero categories when there's literally only four musicals eligible to fill out all these categories. As you said, The Lightning Thief was the only original score this year. The rest of the nominees are jukebox musicals. I think that says a lot about Broadway in general, but <laughs> I don't necessarily know if it does. I actually will disagree because there were a bunch of original scores coming at the like late end of the season and only and the end of the season is always much more stacked and we didn't get to it this year. And the first half of the season was very jukebox musical heavy. I mean, I saw a lot of tweets yesterday about specifically the original score category and the fact that like this is the only original musical. Why are you not nominating the only original musical? And I 100% agree with that. Mm -hmm. Um, I will compare the show to Be More Chill. Uh, It is around the same target audience I would say and Mm -hmm. you know we saw Joe Iconis score nomination that year which I do think that the Be More Chill cast recording is very strong and do I think that the Lightning Thief cast recording as a whole is super strong no but like we could play good kid on repeat for this (laughs) entire episode Good son, but no one ever will take my side. All I ever do is take a fall. I swear, I swear that I'm a good kid. Guess I'm good for nothing at all. You know, it's funny. The musical that I went to listen to yesterday was The Lightning Thief because I was just feeling. I was like, oh, I want to revisit this show. I want to remember what I loved about it and why I had such a good time. And it's a super fun cast recording. That score was written by Rob Rakicki. Um, Wow, I think he's a fan of our Twitter page. We've actually like had uh, back and forth conversations (laughs) with him. Yeah. Um, And that was something that... Yeah, when we when we left the theater, when we saw that show, it was like, this is a fun pop rock score. And again, like, yes, it's a kid's show, but those young kids really enjoyed it. And it brought some young people onto Broadway and into the theater world. And I want to read Jeremy O'Harris's tweet, who, congrats, Jeremy O'Harris, <laughs> on your 12 nominations for Slave Play. Mm-hmm. Um, because Jeremy O'Harris and Slave Play's Twitter account and the lightning thief are like kind of twitter buddies which is amazing because those shows are completely they target, the opposite they target very different audiences yes so the official lightning thief twitter account yesterday tweeted at jeremy harris like we just want to send a huge congratulations to our twitter buddy on like all of these nominations and jeremy harris tweeted back saying i'm an at lt musical stan and forever will be grateful for the work they put into the world and the change they helped foster on broadway thanks for the love so there are fans out there that are not kids mm-hmm. i just want to point that out that they're as much as we say that this is a kids musical there are definitely teens and adults that are also a fan of this show i mean we're not kids we're not kids (laughs) i just i think what was so disheartening to me about this in particular was this is supposed to be a celebration of theater we have been so deprived of theater but instead by 
excluding them in every single category and shutting them out completely theater is kind of just and broadway is proving itself to be an elitist organization and that is not i don't know that's it like leaves a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth i don't know i totally agree and we had discussed they could have been nominated for sound design or set design like there were places to put that musical um something again that i had read on twitter was that someone had said that a show like the lightning thief showed you what you can do with a smaller budget on a big Mm -hmm. stage yes for sure that was something that we had talked about when we discussed the show on a couple of our episodes was that that industrial set um, was yes simplistic but what they did with it was amazing when they had uh, the sword fights when they had the projections um, when they were playing like capture the flag what is so different from this set versus Hamilton set if we're being honest right it really is you know nothing. risers um, you know like there is design elements but it suited what it was doing something that I loved about the set of The Lightning Thief was there were these little, like little platforms that would be wheeled out and about halfway through, through the show I realized they were like pillars like Greek uh, pillars that had been like cut off at the bottom and it took like a few of them to come out for me to realize they're being so creative with that uh, I love the lighting in the show I thought the lighting was so much fun something that was also super fun in that show is you know when Percy turns his pencil into a sword for the first time like that was a great moment a great mm-hmm. lighting great sound effect moment and brought so much excitement into that theater I just am so disappointed in the American theater wing for snubbing this show completely but I also feel so bad for that team because they had such a strong fan base and they even though their Broadway run was limited and scheduled to be a limited run and yes they didn't sell probably as much as they wanted to like they still got there they still made it Mm -hmm. to Broadway so someone did believe in that show to bring it there and to be completely shut out like this is just to me a slap in the face Yes. And also, I want to shout out that cast is, what, seven people? And they all played, except for Chris McCarroll, multiple, multiple characters in that show. And I think they all, you know, embodied each different character so much. So at the end, I was like, wait, where did this person come from? I thought there were five more people on this show than actually were. So I think there were great performances. There were so much great things about that show. And it's just, I don't know, it feels purposeful, even though it probably wasn't purposeful. Mm Mm-hmm. It feels purposeful. Yeah. So The Lightning Thief will come up again later when we get to the acting categories. But let's talk about the three musicals that are nominated for Best Musical. Um, Should we start with Tina, the one show that we haven't seen? Yes, let's start with Tina, the show that we haven't seen. The number one thing I've heard about Tina is Adrienne Warren. Mm -hmm. I love Adrienne Warren. She's so talented. But that has been the standout thing from that show for me is Adrienne Warren. We also know this from Lin-Manuel Miranda's tweet when he saw (laughs) it on the West End. He literally congratulated Adrienne Warren Warren on her performance and said nothing else about the show. (laughs) No, he said nothing else. Yeah, that's kind of what I've been hearing. She's giving a tour de force. She was injured for a lot of the run and she's just been performing through it she played it on the west end and was nominated there so yeah i don't have many strong feelings towards it and i i couldn't even tell you if it has a cast recording that sounds really bad doesn't it i think it does only because i have used it in previous episodes but that's all i know about it i know that adrian warren at the maybe the beginning of this year but also possibly when it came to broadway in general just because it had name recognition obviously because it's tina turner but because it ran on the west end she did like a late night run and performed at a lot of different late night shows right her voice the way that she transforms herself into tina is pretty amazing
she has the movement down. Like when she is dancing, you know, Tina Turner has those iconic dance moves. Um, it's like Proud Mary and the way she moves her body. Mm-hmm. She is Tina. Other than that, I have no real thoughts or opinion or even knowledge about yeah, the show in general. Also, shout out to that wig department because they're doing the most. That wig. <laughs> that wig is good. Wig yeah, and it's great. Unfortunately, you will hear us repeat the same three musicals for this entire episode because they're the only three nominated and we will still have very little to say on Tina. So <laughs> I was laughing when the nominations were coming out because they were just saying them in different orders every time. That just seems so like dumb to me. <laughs> What's the point of that? I also saw, I think it was um, Moulin Rouge official Instagram that was mm-hmm. like posting stories of all of the nominations. Mm-hmm. And I swear, not only were they saying the shows in different order, but they were also putting them on the graphics. They were in different orders. So okay, every so- time it was like a new picture of Danny Burke scene <laughs> uh it came to me why they were in different order for like sound design lighting design because it's an alphabetical order based on the nominee who has a different name Makes every sense. time obviously but i was just like jaggy little pill moulin rouge tina tina jaggy little pill moulin rouge moulin rouge <laughs> jaggy little pill tina and i'm just like oh my god can we pick an order we got to see both jaggy little pill and moulin rouge in our most recent new york trip last december um we went down to New York not having tickets to either of those shows and we rushed Jagged and we we paid the big bucks to go see Moulin Rouge again. <laughs> so obviously if you listen to our Moulin Rouge episode, again if you listen to our year interview last year, I love this show. Um I think you love this show. Yeah. I know Shara loves this show. It's a favorite between the three of us for sure. I know critically it's not super acclaimed, but it is one of the most thrilling theater experiences I've had in a very long time. Moulin Rouge, you are transported to another world for that two and a half hours. And that is from, you know, we'll get to it, but like set design, lighting design, uh, music, orchestrations, just every detail about that show is so, so, so well done and works together so well that the mm-hmm. big picture of Moulin Rouge is amazing. It is just a thrilling, thrilling experience. I will never forget us seeing it for the first time in Boston, just how excited we were. And then seeing it again with some distance was still exciting. But, you know, we were able to like pick out so many different things and see all the details that they'd worked in for us. And I I love that show. I think they like really honored the movie with that, yeah. with this musical. I think it says a lot about us also as people that we were in New York. It was basically our final day. We could have seen any, I mean, we could have seen any show because we saw so many shows that day in general, <laughs> but we could have, there were other options for us to see. And as we were waiting outside of the Moulin Rouge doors without tickets at like 6 p.m. We were like, are we doing this? We're doing this. We're doing it. (laughs) I do also think that uh, when theater does come back, Moulin Rouge will be a show that is pretty sure to reopen. There's a lot of money in that production um, and it shows. It's stunning that theater is completely transformed. Again, if you want our full thoughts on like that experience, listen to our Moulin Rouge episode. But I, even if this was a, a normal year, I would have loved for it to be nominated for Best Musical as well, and I also think that it would have been. I agree. I would have yeah. expected it to show up in this category anyway. And our final Best Musical nominee is Jagged Little Pill. <laughs> I have so many mixed feelings on this musical. My general feeling on it is that it was so much fun, and I loved it. My second thought is that it's kind of bad. And I 
I still loved it. Like it that see that's how I feel. I I love everything. So but I, I also I say. <laughs> but I also recognize that it was not great. And I like for me a lot of the issues lie with the book and just the co- over convoluted storylines in that show. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think it's a little bit let down by its book. So the feeling that I left with was kind of like more meh than uh-huh. than Moulin Rouge or even Lightning Thief, to be honest. Maybe just I had more expectations, but... Yeah, I think we had super high expectations because we also had gone into that show reading about its production in Boston at ART and just like being a fan of that album in Loving general. Atlantis, yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think, though general consensus from the audience was that people really enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's a fine show. Um, It's nothing to, like, really write home about. I think there are some amazing performances in that show. I also want to talk about, again, that that simplistic set really works for that show. I also am obsessed with the fact that the actors pushed and pulled off light boxes. Some of our favorite people are in that show. So So many of our favorite peeps. (laughs) It's hard to say that like I'm not a fan because I am a fan. Oh for sure. And I I think like when we did our Jagged episode back in April we had talked about that that cast recording is phenomenal. It is mixed so well. Of these cast record of the of the musicals open, that is the probably most listened to cast recording. It was also specifically with that show because it was a cast recording that we refused to listen to. It was just exciting to finally get to dive into it and give it our all after the fact. So I can't remember in our way too early. I think I put Jagged as best musical, but like maybe I didn't. I don't remember either. It was truly way too early. Okay, it was way too early. (laughs) It was was way, way too early. (laughs) Never have Tony Award predictions been earlier, if I'm being (laughs) Um, of these three musicals, which one do you think is going to win? This is so difficult. I am going to cast my vote to Moulin Rouge the musical. I agree. I do think if we are comparing it, which we have to because there's only three musicals in this category. Yeah. Having not seen Tina, I do Mm. think that it is the strongest musical of the three. It is the most well-rounded of them all. And I will, again, I haven't seen Tina. Again, we're going to just keep saying that over and over again. (laughs) But... I do think both Moulin Rouge and Jagged Little Pill have book issues. I feel like Tina's got book issues too. <laughs> Biopic musicals always have book issues. Let's just go with that. They always have book issues. Yeah. But I feel like Moulin Rouge's are maybe a little more forgivable because it's based on the movie. You forget about those little problems that you have with the book because it's spectacle theater at its finest. You are transported into a new world and that is, I'll take that any day over a bad book. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about best book of a musical. Here we go. So we have Diablo Cody for Jagged Little Pill, John Logan for Moulin Rouge the Musical, and Tina has three writers, Katori Hall, Frank Ketelar, and Keys Prinz. Katori Hall is who I've heard credited most upfront with the book of Tina. Katori Hall also is a um, pretty well-known playwright in her own right. I want to say this is her first... Um, Book of a Musical. Let's talk about Diablo Cody a little bit. Oh, Diablo. I love Juno. That's it. (laughs) I think Juno's a really good movie. (laughs) With Juno, you can focus. And I think the Jagged book is really unfocused. If you listen to our Jagged episode, we do talk about this book of the musical and more on Diablo Cody. But the intersecting storylines didn't really intersect. It was like, here is this happening over here and this happening over here. And maybe we'll meet in the middle. 
And, like, they kind of do, but also kind of don't. So yes. very briefly, they, like, briefly let them touch. And then they're like, no, 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 too too much. We had discussed that, like, the parent storyline, like, doesn't really do anything for me. I kind of like the mom storyline. I think it could have been more interesting. Um, Derek Klenna's storyline is, like, kind of bland. The two best storylines are Joe and Frankie and then Bella. Like, those are the two storylines that they really should have focused on that. I mean, the mom storyline can be interesting. I think that, as I said, like, the drug overdose scene was super great. Mm -hmm. The moment that really hit me with the mom storyline is when Frankie was talking to her mother about... Uh, Bella and how she'd been assaulted and then her mom was saying oh this is the kind of thing that happens it happened to her and how you kind of then see like how it affected her life and you see how it could potentially affect Bella's life if something isn't done and I Mm -hmm. thought was like oh that's super interesting and then we just never talk about it again (laughs) (laughs) yeah and we had also discussed that it's difficult when like the song titles are already there for you that you're trying to write not just songs, because um, mm. they did write a couple, Alanis did write a couple new songs for this musical, but you're trying to fit your storyline around these song titles that already exist. So I understand And that you that's need difficult. to have certain songs there. Like, you can't not have Ironic. You can't not have You Ought to Know. You can't not yeah. have some of these st- songs in there. So then you are... Normally, the songs should be in service of the story, but in this case, the story is trying to be in service of the music. We both agree that the songs are the strongest part of that show. Yeah. So... They got that right, and it was already there for them. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I don't know. I don't know if the puzzle pieces all quite fit together. Um, The Book of Moulin Rouge. Look, it's based on the movie. It's also kind of bland, but that's fine. Yes, but as we said, like, a little bit earlier, it's just a more well-rounded, more constructed storyline, and I don't It's tighter. Think... It's tighter. It is, it's definitely tighter. There's definitely so many more characters in that show that we explore, but their intersecting storylines are not confusing. Who are you picking to win? Who are you picking to win? book yeah like not diablo cody (laughs) see i think i'm gonna pick diablo cody to win though we could be running into like the tina fey scenario where they put the best book of a musical on the telecast for tina fey to win i do i feel like i feel like all of the reviews that i had read from jagged was that the book is a mess i mean it is the other thing i could i don't think milan rouge is gonna win this i think no i actually think like tina will win this to be honest maybe tina I, I think I'm still going to go with Diablo. I'm still going to go with Diablo, Cody. Wow, sorry. But, like, we know nothing about Tina. But, like, is it really We're fair? doing a really good job. We didn't yeah. do any of this. We did so much research so on much that. Research. Well, on, but, like, what could we research? We're not going to watch a Tina bootleg. We could. <laughs> um, we didn't, for the record. How do you give an award to a biopic musical for a book when it's based on someone's life? I guess it's the it way that you craft it. It happens all the time. But then, at the same time, Moulin Rouge is based on a movie that's already existed. Like, the only person who wrote a truly original book here is Diablo Cody, to her detriment. <laughs> so, okay, so I'm going to go with Diablo Cody. Are you going to go with I'm going to go with Hall? Tina. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Go Tina. Something that we left off of our way to early Tony nominations back in January was the Best Director category, only for the fact that the episode was already an hour and 20 minutes, and we had talked about directors for, like, 25 minutes. So we decided to omit it, thinking that, oh, we'll have more information when the Tony nominations come out. Well, we don't really have that much more information because the same three directors that you guessed it are nominated from Moulin Rouge, Tina, and Jaggy Little Pill. What? We have Felita Lloyd from Tina, Diane Paulus from Jaggy Little Pill, and Alex Timbers from Moulin Rouge. I would like to give a big shout out to Alex Timbers here because I love Alex Timbers. <laughs> he, Alex Timbers directs a show. You know what I mean? Yeah. You see his direction. He does not know how to do small and minimal. You know, his last show was what? Beetlejuice. 
Um, you know, something I think of with him is like Peter Starcatcher. I think of him with Rocky. You always see his choices. He is a big director. And so they gave this bombastic musical to him. And I think that was yes. correct. I also think that Alex Timbers is a guy that really works with his set designer, whoever that is with. They mm-hmm. kind of make sure that they have the same vision before they dive into the show. And I think yeah. that's so important. And it says so much about him as a person. Um, the set design of Moulin Rouge is Crazy. incredible it's amazing. like nothing else that is a big cl- collaboration with tony nominee Derek mclean two-time tony nominee Derek mclean um and alex timbers i think when we had heard that he was directing moulin rouge that was a name that i was really excited about i agree i was i i am usually a fan of what he does um some people say maybe too much but i say never enough never <laughs> uh, on the other hand diane paulus i think sometimes does a more minimal kind of vibe but i also like what she does i think maybe my Do you? well i, I thought you didn't i didn't really like waitress you're right um but i like pippin pippin's good i did like waitress i liked it a lot more than you did i just called her minimal and i realized she did great comment which is not minimal but i think maybe more stripped back if that makes sense this maybe. resume yeah like she has a great resume yeah hair uh this is just broadway resume right now Hair, uh, the Gershwin's Porgy and Bess, the Norm Lewis Audrey McDonald production, uh, Pippin, Natasha Pierre, and the, then Waitress, Jack Little Pill. A lot of these started at ART and then moved over to Broadway. She is also scheduled. I mean, now I don't think it actually matters. Seventeen seventy six. Yeah, which was which was also did ART. it play at ART? No, I think it was. It was supposed to be this summer at ART. I think. Almost all, if not all, of Diane Paulus's productions have their out of town at ART because she is the artistic director. I do think some of the weakness that comes out of Jaguar Pill is the partnership between Diane Paulus and Diablo Cody. Sorry. Ooh, wow. <laughs> hot take, hot take. I don't know that we can 100% blame that book all on Diablo. No, I do think that there it was a collaboration for sure. Yeah. Um, but hers, her name was the only one on it, so. That is true. And then we have Felita Lloyd, who is a British import, because she directed Tina on the West End and then came over and directed it here on Broadway. She directed Mamma Mia, the movie, in 2008, so she will always have a wonderful uh, place in our hearts. That is legendary. It is really legendary. She she didn't direct two, though. And uh, that would be the only... I feel like you could tell. (laughs) Excuse me, two was was amazing. Uh, Mamma Mia, here we go again. Um, so yeah, so her big like film credit is Mamma Mia and the Iron Lady. She's a Merrill fan. I guess she is a Merrill fan. <laughs> She's done a bunch of theater stuff in the UK. Um, and this, I think, is her first American production on Broadway. So I don't know. She was a name in our way too early Tony nominations that we left off because of the shows that would have opened. There were some heavy hitters in that category. For sure. And a few other British imports too. This is a category that has two women and one man in the best director of a musical category, which is not usual. Now we were limited to the shows that opened, but I think it does say something that of the show of the musicals that had opened, it was 50-50 split. And there were more musicals being directed by women that were slated to open that didn't get to open. So that's kind of a, a promising. That's exciting. It's a promising statistic, to be honest. Yeah. Who's your winner for this category? Uh, Alex Timbers. Yeah. I mean, like, I I honestly would not give it to anybody else. I yeah. think even, even though we cut that part of our previous episode, I still think I gave it to him because I'm a fan, even though I don't yeah. think that he would have won against the 
yeah, there were some other people? cool people coming in. But yeah, I'm I I was really excited about what he did with that. And I I feel like we saw his stamp on it. I feel like you can truly credit him with the overall vision of that show in a way that I don't know if you can credit the other two with the overall vision. Okay, best choreography. We've got City Larby, Chirkawi, Jaggy Little Pill, we got Sonia Taye, Moulin Rouge, and we got Anthony Van Last, Tina Turner, a Tina Turner musical. I loved both the choreography of Jaggy Little Pill and Moulin Rouge, but it's no question it's Moulin Rouge. Like that ensemble is just hardest working ensemble on Broadway. They're doing so much hard work. And Sonia Taye did not go easy on them. She we are throwing people across the stage. We are the amount of stretching that that and physiotherapy that that cast has to do. I can't even oh, imagine. Yeah. But it, it's just it just doesn't compare. And obviously, they're for different purposes. But it, it nothing nothing I've seen on Broadway. Maybe the closest comparison is West Side Story, even though they're completely different styles, but the amount of dance ability required to do that ensemble choreography, I think is kind of similar, but I really think Sonia should win her first Tony for her Broadway debut with Moulin Rouge the Musical. I definitely agree. This was choreography that we have not stopped talking about for the last two years since we saw Moulin Rouge back in Boston. Two words, backstage romance. That's really all you need to know about this show and the choreography. Um, I do agree with you. We really enjoyed the jagged choreography the 90s grunge choreography was mm-hmm. super fun even if this was a normal year we i would have loved to see a jagged nomination i agree I they would have deserved it yeah um, but yeah sonia this is her award to lose so definitely before we get to actors let's talk about orchestrations and let's start with my favorite, Tom Kitt and his reorchestrations of Jack Little Pill. Um, as I said earlier in this episode, that cast recording is everything. His reorchestrations of those amazing 90s Atlanta songs is everything that you wanted more. And I know that Alanis worked pretty closely with Tom Kitt on making sure that it was like the sound that she wanted. But like, he's a genius. <laughs> Tom Kitt is doing really, really great work here with uh, these songs that we know so, so, so well, and then just elevating them to the next level. Uh, loved what he did with them. I mean, but then let's talk about something like Moulin Rouge, where you've got uh, Justin Levine and a few other people working on it. But really, I think they've Justin Levine is the one who has come a lot of mashups in the show, combined all these songs together, seen what works together. Um, had a big hand in selecting the songs that were going in this musical and creating this narrative or this story or these huge musical numbers with five, six, up to like 20 songs. I don't even know how many are in Elephant Love Medley with these songs and making them all go together. And I think the orchestrations of that is so, so, so challenging. And I think it's so successful. I think this is actually maybe one of the harder categories for the Tony Awards this year. Specifically, again, we are not going to speak on (laughs) Tina here, but... Uh, Ethan Pop, Ethan Pop uh, orchestrated Tina, the Tina Turner musical. I have heard a couple of songs. Um, 
But those ones, again, with like biopic musicals, it's very difficult to change the style because you're trying to mimic the right. actual person. So it, I assume that Tina, I'll compare it to like the Cher show, the most recent, bi- oh, actually, that's not true. Summer was the most recent biopic musical that we saw. But those songs all kind of sound like the artist because they're trying to. Yeah. No, it's definitely different because Jag Little Pill, they took the songs and put them into different scenarios. Yes. So. This is an entire category of jukebox musical nominations, which is kind of interesting. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's the first time that that's ever happened. I kind of want to say that it is. Probably. Usually at least there's a revival in there because Mm -hmm. revivals always have really good orchestrations. In terms of Moulin Rouge, if you want to watch an amazing interview, watch the AOL build with Aaron Tveit, Alex Timbers, and Justin Levine, and you kind of get into the headspace of how Justin Levine picked these songs. It's super interesting. I highly recommend it. But... That cast recording is phenomenal. I think actually seeing that show live elevates those orchestrations. I think specifically of like the sparkling diamond Mm -hmm. whole routine and like the horn section is so strong and really fills that entire theater. Mm -hmm. I don't know. This is a hard one. I don't know. It is a really hard one. It is a really hard one. Yeah. The way because of the time period they use modern music, they the style of it is kind of made to fit you know, 1899 or whatever year it is, but also very, be very modern. It's very cool. I don't know. Who's your choice? I think I'm going to go with, it's Justin Levine, Matt Stein, Charlie Rosen, and Katie Kresik, all nom- all nominated for Moulin Rouge. And I think I'm going to go with the team for Moulin Rouge. Yeah. I was about to ask you, when was the last time Tom Kitt won a Tony? <laughs> oh, let's find this out. The last Tony award he won was for Best Original Score and Best Orchestrations for Next to Normal. So... Ooh, it's been a while. It's been about 10 years. It's been about 10 years. I want to say that if Moulin Rouge wins Best Musical, then it will win Best Orchestrations as well and probably Director, because that's like kind of the way that things go. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to be different and choose Tom Kidd. Okay, wow. Okay, wow. Then there's these other categories that's like Best Sound Design of a Musical, Best Lighting Design of a Musical, Best Costume Design of a Musical, Best Scenic Design of a Musical. I'm sorry, all of those are going to Moulin Rouge. There's no other competition Um, I agree. Scenic Design, (laughs) Costume Design should be Moulin Rouge. I think like lighting and sound we have room to play but costume and scenic design should be Moulin Rouge but they're all just the same three musicals so we really don't need to get that deep into it so normally this is the time where we talk about best original score discuss what musical would win best original score however there are five nominees in this category and not a single one is a musical there are five different plays and I think there were a lot of people who were like oh they changed the category to accommodate plays no, that is not the case. That plays have been nominated many times before. I don't think a play has ever won this category, though. So that will be a first. And it is definitely the first time that it is filled out completely with plays. Yeah. Um, the plays are A Christmas Carol, The Inheritance, The Rose Tattoo, Slave Play, and The Sound Inside. Without seeing these plays, I don't really think we can speak to the music in them. No, but I did read a little bit of controversy on A Christmas Carol because someone was saying that it's just like recycled songs. So how could it be nominated for Best Original Score? I don't know. I think it's just mostly notable because there are no musicals and that's really disappointing for this year. And it's just weird things by chance, um, but there was a musical available and it apparently wasn't good enough. Yeah. Let's move on to our acting categories, which... I think we can speak to many of these performances because, again, we've seen two of the three shows. So let's start with um, our supporting categories and best actor or sorry, best feature actor in a musical. 
Yes. I'm so happy for Danny Burr's scene. Even though we knew that this was going to happen, but like seeing his name pop up there just made me smile. So there's two nominees from Moulinders the Musical, Danny Burstein as Harold Zidler and Sa Nagaja. I tried, guys. I really tried. Um, as Toulouse-Lautrec in Moulin Rouge. Yes. Then we've got two nominees from Jagged Little Pill, which is Derek Klenna as Nick Healy and Sean Allen Krill as his dad, Steve Healy, and Ike Turner himself, Daniel J. Watts, in Tina, the Tina Turner musical. So I think we all expected a Danny Burstein nomination, as I said. For sure. Um, we had had Sar on our long list, but he didn't make the shortlist when we had looked at all of the musicals because Company has a lot of men, There's and a lot we of thought boys that Company that would clean up that category. I never thought that Derek Klenna would get a nomination for this role. And I was so distracted by Derek Klenna's nomination (laughs) that I didn't even see that Sean Allen Krill was also nominated from Jagged. And I think, I'm so sorry. I don't think that he's a bad actor, but I think that the character is awful in that show. You're not into So Unsexy? No, I'm also not into Mary Jane. Um, I don't. The only song that I'm okay with him in is Head Over Feet because it leads he us leaves. to Celia and Antonio. <laughs> um, but I had this reaction many hours later after seeing the Tony nominations yesterday and I couldn't stop laughing. I'm sorry, Sean. I think you're probably a lovely person, but that character, not he, it for me. He's doing what he can with what he's been given, okay? Yeah, I'm not crazy about that character either. I do think the dad is really kind of just left by the wayside, and they don't really do anything interesting with him. Yeah. I do think they do some more interesting things with Derek Klenna's character. I mean, I love the fact that he was nominated for a Tony, because it's no secret that I think we he's love Derek amazing. Klenna. So cute. I just think... So cute. But I just think, like, if you were going to give him a nomination for a character, it probably would have been Dimitri and Anastasia and not... I don't even know. the What is his name in the show? I can't even remember. The blandest name ever, Nick. Nick. Not Nick in Jagged Little Pill. Um, but I also think that this is due to this not being a normal year. I don't think that Derek or Sean would have been nominated if this was a regular Tony Awards. Yes, like let's get into that aspect of it because as excited as I would be to get this Tony Award nomination, I think you'd kind of feel the the kind of emotion maybe that I would feel is that maybe a bit of imposter syndrome. Like, am I only getting this because there's literally no one else to nominate? Do yeah. I really deserve this nomination um, if I win? Can I really be proud of this award? And so I think we're putting the actors, well, everyone really, but I really feel for the actors because we get to know them a bit more. Um, Mm -hmm. I really feel for the awkward position that they're kind of being put in here. There was one actor left off of Jackie Little Pill that wasn't nominated, and that's Antonio Cibriano. So let's just put that out there. I just remember when we were reading the eligibility for these shows and his name popped up and we were like, no way is this going to happen. No, honey, no. We love you, but not yet. (laughs) Truly. Truly, it is a love. But yeah, you're not. Wait a few years. Give it a few years. Um, And also back in January on our Way Too Early Tony nominations episode, we both had Daniel J. Watts on our shortlist for Ike Turner. Let's talk about my winner. I think he's your winner, too. Yeah. Danny Burstein for his portrayal of Harold Zidler in Moulin Rouge. This is a match made in heaven role. It's so interesting because we had talked about this in our year in review episode, but we didn't see Danny uh, the second time or my third time. You were talking about seeing Moulin Rouge. Yeah, because uh, he was out on injury. We saw Austin Durant as Zidler, who did a great job. Yeah. But there's nothing like Danny Burstein. And I think it's like 
his tone of voice for me, not just his singing voice, but his speaking mm-hmm. voice. He really captures an entire room and holds an audience better than many actors I've seen ever do. So this is the time for him to win. Also, he had COVID-19 this year <laughs> and he has come out on the other side and he's healthy. So give it to him for that. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about which show was most affected by COVID-19, give Moulin Rouge all the awards. You know, <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> when we heard that some of the actors in Moulin Rouge had like were uh, had tested positive, I think our first reaction was, oh my God, is Danny Burstein okay? Yes. Um, <laughs> turns out, no. Yes. And speaking, speaking on that specifically, go read his op-eds on yes. his experience with COVID-19 because they're truly, on a serious note, amazing to read. Yeah. Very hard to read. It was like one of the best like looks into what it is actually like to test positive and to have to deal with it and to be at home with it. And to be in the epicenter of New York City. Exactly, exactly. Such a good read. Highly recommend. I 100% agree that Danny Burstein should and is going to win this Tony Award. I feel like his performance was great, but I also feel like he has the support of the community. So that's what I see happening for him. And I'll say back in January, like he was my winner then too. I just really think that that performance is the performance of the year. Moving on to Best Feature Actress in a Musical. This category was kind of interesting and one that we kind of predicted when we saw the eligibility of shows, but Mm -hmm. still some surprises in there. Um, I want to start with my surprise, which I'm super happy that she got in there. Robin Herter got a Tony nomination for her performance in Moulin Rouge as Nini. She's fab. She is. I So this is kind of... Interesting, but you hardly ever... Robin Herter is first and foremost a dancer, and you hardly ever see dancers get to be pulled forward in a dance role. Like someone from who started in the ensemble get to be star or have a featured role in a show as a dancer and mm-hmm. also then be recognized for their work in something that's not necessarily like a straight dance show. I, I really love, love that she goes out there, puts her leg over her head, you know, eight times a week, and then also sings and acts and then was recognized for her performance. Yeah, I mean, we're going to sound like a broken record here, but her performance specifically in Backstage Romance is the reason I think that she gets that Tony nomination. Also her in uh, Roxanne, because that's her and Ricky doing the tango for a lot of that show. Her and Ricky just have a great time in both Backstage Romance and in Roxanne. To go back to actor for a a feature actor for a second, um, I was really hoping for a Ricky Rojas, sorry, do not know how to pronounce your last name, Ricky, nomination (laughs) for his portrayal of Santiago and Moulin Rouge, because again, his his chemistry with Robin Herger was incredible, but also his chemistry with Aaron Tveit was incredible. (laughs) Um, The three, the trio of Toulouse, Christian, and Santiago is super fun to watch, and his character being the most fun of the three, I would say. So I kind of was hoping for him to maybe push out the dad from Jagged, but you know, didn't happen. Um, here we are. Back to Robin Herder. Um, yeah, I totally agree. In Roxanne, she is great. And I also love her scene work when um, Satine is getting sick because mm-hmm. she kind of like takes the lead with the pack of girls there. So also, I think that we need to mention Robin Herder is also a star in that opening number, Lady Marmalade. Like she yes. is the person that you are looking at. She does some crazy things with her body. And I think she's amazing in that show. Every person dancing in that show is nailing it. And so 
for your eye to be drawn to one specific person as your eyes often draw to her is such such a talent and then the next three women in the category are all from jagged little pill we've got celia rose gooding katherine gallagher and lauren Patton. but there is also a nominee from tina i believe it's tina's grandmother truly we're exposing ourselves as having done zero research on tina the tina turner musical but yes so there's three nominees from jagged little pill and oftentimes when you see three nominees from a category it means like two things one they love the show two that they're they're indecisive and that they're not gonna be able to pick between one and we're gonna end up with kind of a winner from one of the other lesser nominated shows or three there was only three shows that were well that's also that's also you know (laughs) if we're gonna talk performances and i'm gonna talk all around performances i do think celia is the best of the three i think lauren Patton's you ought to know number is obviously showstopper incredible amazing Mm -hmm. but the character of joe itself is not as strong to me as frankie well here's what i think this is a bit of category fraud to me i think celia as frankie is a lead in this show she is not a a featured character because you look at her stage time and you look at her storyline compared to a joe or to a bella and it's double Mm -hmm. it's it's not even close and i think she is a co-lead with elizabeth stanley who plays her mom and so it's a little bit of category fraud here for me so i I think it's unfair (laughs) is this a all category first time nominee i believe it is wow that's exciting i believe it is i think Catherine Gallagher had some amazing tweets yesterday. Um, one of them being that she was in therapy, so she didn't know what happened. Um, <laughs> and then followed up with, I'm crying. And also there's this trend, I think, on Twitter right now that was like where it started, where it ended or something mm-hmm. like that. And she had posted two photos. One was an email that she had sent to her dad and mom with <laughs> a link to basically what we would find of an Alanis Morissette musical is in the works. And she had sent that link to her parents saying, well, I'm going to be in this. And then to where it ended of she's nominated for a Tony Award. Bella is such a complex character. I think probably yeah. one of the most complicated characters in that show. Um, she has great solo moments in that in that show for sure. And I think she has an interesting voice too, like not a super typical theatery voice. So I love like hearing her. I am not mad at any of these nominations, but I do again think that all three of them would not have been nominated in a regular year. See, that's like the complicated emotions and I'm happy for them and they deserve these nominations, but there is an asterisk next to everything that's happening this year. With that being said, who's your winner? <sighs> Lauren Patton. I agree. After I just said that, like, she's not a super interesting character. I think the Tony voters and audience members in general are just nuts over you ought to know. Yeah, that's the takeaway from the show. That's the what people are talking about when they leave the show. And I think that lasts a long time, especially because we haven't no one's seen the show in seven months. Yeah. The memory of get it leaping to your feet in the middle of act two will stay with all the voters the way it has with us the memory of celia and antonio on the swing set is what stays with me <laughs> <laughs> sorry the memory of antonio walking through the audience like yes. carrying his clothes <laughs> stayed with me <laughs> i'm so excited for the day that the tony award ceremony happens and we cut to like a zoom screen of the entire jagged cast just cheering on it's gonna be very exciting all right moving on to best 
actress in a musical. So there are three nominees in this category, one from each of the nominated musicals. So we've got Karen Olivo in Moulin Rouge, the musical, as Satine. We have Elizabeth Stanley as Mary Jane Healy in Jagged Little Pill. And we have Adrian Warren as Tina Turner in Tina, the Tina Turner musical. I sound like a movie announcer. I was going to say, that was your best like game show host voice ever. That was great. I think we, again, both agree that this is Adrian Warren's award to lose. We saw the other two performances and they were stunning, but... People have not stopped talking about Adrian Warren and Tina. She did it in, in the West End, was nominated for Olivier, did not win, but came here. And it has it was the buzz all season. And she is another person who I'm super sad for because I think she would have won in a normal year. But now this year is tainted, you know? Well, well that's kind of interesting because uh, Adrian Warren lost to Sharon D. Clark for Carolina Change, which would have also probably come down to the same nominations this year. I mean, Adrian Warren was my... Actually, I don't think Adrian Warren was my pick. I think we had gone with... I think I had gone with Adrian Warren because... I think I went with Sharon D. Clark. I think we were different on that. Yes. I think I go with Adrian Warren because, you know, we love a hometown girl and she's been working in New York ensembles and doing other yeah. shows and now she's in Shuffle Along and now she is like leading her own show yeah. And the just the momentum behind her was so, so great. I do think, though, between uh, the other two, that this is a no-brainer. Although, like, loved Karen Olivo's performance. And, yeah, Elizabeth Stanley was, like, a surprise. I didn't know who she was before we saw Jagged. But her voice is stunning. I'm also interested to know how if they're going to do any performances on this Tony Awards this year. That's a good question, you know? Uh, will they isolate together? Probably not. Will it be I like, think it, it all depends on when this ceremony actually happens yeah. because some people, aka one person that we know, Aaron Tveit, is working in Vancouver right now. So some people are actually doing other... That boy's getting a paycheck. They're doing more work because there is no work for them right now. So that would involve coming back to the States and like isolating with your cast. I obviously would love to see a highly produced performance. I feel like that's something that all viewers of the Tony Wars would love to see because we have not had that this year, but I don't know that it's going to happen. Speaking of the one and only Aaron Tveit, oh, he truly, speaking he of truly Tveit. is the one and only. <laughs> this was maybe the best part of yesterday, honestly. But also the worst part of yesterday. But um, the TikToks that spawned, okay? <laughs> the memes. <laughs> Think of the memes. The tweets. Everything. Um... I think the best tweet from yesterday was from Heath Saunders, which was, in many ways, Aaron Tveit is literally the only <laughs> actor. <laughs> I love Aaron Tveit. Okay, so if, in case people don't know what we're talking about, best performance by a leading actor in a musical is the final category we're going to discuss here today. And there were two actors eligible to be nominated, Aaron Tveit from Moulin Rouge and Chris McCarroll for Lightning Thief. And they chose to nominate one actor, and that is Aaron Tveit in Moulin Rouge the Musical as Christian in the role he was born to play. This is so rude to Chris McCarroll. It is rude to Chris McCarroll. It's definitely upsetting, but also it's kind of rude to Aaron Tveit. I literally think this is worse than being nominated with other people. <laughs> I agree. Also, Steph, can you please educate everybody okay. on the fact that Aaron can't just... He did not win this Tony Award no, yesterday. No. I I came here with the math today. I came prepared with the math. So when, when we saw this, I was like, well, congrats, Aaron, on your Tony Award. I guess that's that. I think like the entire internet felt the exact same yes. way yesterday. But that's not quite how it works. So 
Let's talk in general how the Tony Awards work. Basically, there's an administration committee that decides who is eligible for what category, and they kind of do some admin stuff throughout the year. Then there's a nominating committee who is about 50 members, and they vote by secret. They have a meeting, and they vote by secret ballot on who's going to be the nominees. So that is who decided on these nominees. Then there is the voting party, which um, has numbers that fluctuate every year, but as of last year, it was about 831 people. So, And you have to prove you've seen a show... On, on the online Tony Voter portal to vote in any um, category where that show is nominated. So, for example, for this category, you have to approve you've seen Moulin Rouge to be able to vote in this category. Mm-hmm. Now, 831 eligible voters. Let's work with that number. For Aaron to win this Tony Award, he must receive 60% of the votes. We're not sure if that's votes or if that's ballots. There's not Right, so really... if someone doesn't fill out their ballot... I, yeah. I would assume that doesn't count, but I'm not sure. Someone come yeah. get back to us with that. American Theatre Wing, hit us up. <laughs> American Theatre Wing, let us know. We're looking into this. So if we're working with the number of 831, Aaron Tveit needs to get 498.6 votes. Wow, that point six. <laughs> point six. It's really important. Well, technically he needs 499 um, yeah. votes to win this uh category and to win this Tony Award. Imagine losing. I mean, it's 2020. Anything can Anything happen can at happen. this point. But imagine losing. Imagine. It would be... That would be so devastating. First of all, I don't think that this would ever happen. Um, I don't know that it's ever happened. So the other times we were, I was looking into it, in 1995, Sunset Boulevard was the only musical nominated for Best um, Original Score and for Best Book of a Musical, it did win both of those categories. And that's the only other time that I could find of Mm -hmm. this happening. So I think Aaron's going to win. But I literally think this is worse than if he was nominated with other people or not nominated at all. I just think that... Before we had heard about the eligibility and there was only two actors that were, were... allowed to be nominated we were already laughing at this for the fact that first of all there's only two leading men in the four musicals that open is kind of funny in itself but does Aaron really want this like this is not the kind of way that you want to win an award especially for a role that like he is so invested in and I think it's Mm -hmm. like he's put so much time and work into this character that Christian is the the role that he was born to play. And say what you will about Aaron's performance in Moulin Rouge. Say what you will about Aaron Tveit in general. Like, he's so talented and he deserves this beyond anything. He should have mm-hmm. been nominated for Next to Normal and he probably should have been nominated for Catch Me If You Can. So this is like kind of a long time coming for Aaron Tveit. However, I don't think that this is the way that he wanted to be nominated. No. Now let's talk about Chris McCarroll for a second, who was super classy on Twitter about this mm-hmm. entire situation. But... I have to put myself in, like, the actor's shoes for a second and would feel almost that this is more of a personal attack than anything else that the Lightning Thief didn't get nominated for. Yes. I I can't imagine being Chris McCarroll and being like, well, there's only two of us eligible. How, how, uh... How unlikely is it that I'm going to be snubbed? And then to still be snubbed, they chose to nominate literally one person instead of nominating you. It, it would be hurtful. He did tweet saying that he defaulted the Tony Awards because this <laughs> has never happened before um, in terms of an acting category. But um, it's not like Chris McCarroll is also a nobody. Like, he's been around. He's been mm-hmm. in shows. So he 
it's just, again, di- all around disappointing. I also don't think that this makes Aaron feel good for the no. fact that he was the only one nominated of the two. And when we were reading all of the articles back in July or August, it was like, oh, of course, both of them are going to get nominated. There's no way that they're only going to choose Aaron. And then they did. I don't yeah. know. It's it's crazy that this happened. Um, I do think, as everyone is saying on Twitter, just because you are upset with the end result of Chris McCarroll not being nominated doesn't mean that you need to bring Aaron DeVate down. I'm super happy for this nomination, just not the way that it ended up playing out. Yeah, that's the thing. Whenever we talk about snubs with award shows, it's hard. A lot of the focus gets on the people who were nominated, but... And that's why talking about snubs is so difficult because, okay, well, who would you take out of the category? But I think the reason this one feels so bad and so personal is because there's barely a category at all. Yeah. They, they chose this option instead of being inclusive. Back to what you said at the beginning of the episode of like, this is the year to do that, like to include everybody and to mm-hmm. not do it just feels wrong in general. So Steph, who's your winner for this category? Well, 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 well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I truly love Aaron in this role, and I really, really think he would have gotten a nomination anyway, like in a normal year. Um, my our past my past winner was Isaac Powell from West Side Story, but that show obviously was not eligible. So, but beyond him, Aaron would have been my second pick, and I really, really think Aaron does a great job. You can see how hard he's working in this show, and so. This is not a pick by default, Aaron. I choose you. Okay, I choose you. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. Um, for all of the times that we have talked about Aaron in every mm. other podcast episode, go listen to his Roxanne because it is phenomenal. It truly is. And seeing him sing that three times on stage was definitely one of the biggest highlights for me. wait to see him in whatever he does next including his hallmark movie which is coming out like next oh, week you best believe i'm watching that right when it it's, it's like a christmas movie on halloween he's Can't doing wait. an accent though in it <laughs> can you give us a roundup of number of awards for these musicals stuff so of the three musicals nominated the most nominated musical is jagged little pill with 15 nominations and that's made up with six acting nominees so the where the discrepancy with the different musicals is the amount of acting nominees. So then we've got Moulin Rouge with 14 nominations, and that is five acting nominees. And then Tina with 12 nominations, and it has three acting nominees. 15, I believe, ties for most ever for a musical. High plays. We're going to talk about you for one second, but I yes. believe Slave Play set a record for uh, yes. a number of nominations for plays. So they have 12, which I believe is the most ever, and that is with five acting nominees who was snubbed, I hate to say the word snub, but uh, Canada's own Paul Alexander Nolan did not get a nomination for Slave Play, but there are five uh, acting nominees otherwise. Which I truly think was a surprise. I read a lot of tweets about that. Yeah, because I heard he was really good and he, people had talked, maybe he was kind of the other lead, but they left him in featured and Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. He didn't get nominated. I would also like to point out that Jeremy O'Hara said that if they win best play, he himself will release the bootleg. So 
We're waiting. Well, then we got to vote. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna tell you guys to vote. We don't, <laughs> we don't get, get to, to vote, we don't vote, but we don't if vote. anyone listening is part of the American Theater Wing and the Tony voters, like, give us a slave play win because we want to watch that bootleg. <laughs> yep. It actually feels like a very full season for plays, if I'm being honest. There I were think they literally f- could have just done a Tony Awards with just plays. I know. Maybe, like, lump them together. There were 14 plays that opened, four were revivals, and 10 original. Um, and I think the play categories feel very normal, if I'm being honest. The musical categories feel thin yes also like every other year we have some star power nominated in the plays oh, for sure. we have tom hiddleston jake gyllenhaal tom sturridge laura linney it's pretty stacked blair underwood audrey mcdonald ray louise parker like truly True. iconic people oh interesting Be- before we ra- wrap up this recap um audra got her ninth tony nomination is I'm it pretty confident it's nine yeah and apparently the record is 10 and she is turning 50 so someone had tweeted saying, as far as I'm concerned, she has 50 years to set a new record. Mm-hmm. And like, no one will be able to come close to that. I want Audra to win more Tonys. Like, I, I can see her winning this because I can see people voting for name recognition. Like, I'm sure she was great in Frankie and Johnny. But um, I can see people voting for her because, well, it's Audra. Of course she was great. There's a name recognition that was snubbed. Michael Shannon did not get a nomination. That's true. That wraps up our recap on the 2020 Tony nominations. It is now time for our obsession of the week. Steph, what is your obsession this week? There was a video going around uh, Twitter yesterday that I watched many times yesterday and caused me to watch many more videos in the middle of the night last night. And it is from Tim Murray's YouTube channel, and it is Guess That Alphaba Round Oh my two. god, you sent this to me, and it literally <laughs> made my day. <laughs> I watched it yesterday, and then I went on YouTube, and I watched, it was like round two, so they'd done it before, and it was like a longer clip on YouTube, and I just was crying of joy from the watching this knowledge video. <laughs> with just hearing literally one second of someone's yeah, voice yeah. is truly incredible. I thought, I mean, I, I can't do that. There were certain ones where I was like, oh, that's Stephanie J. Block. I'm like, oh, that's Adina Menzel. But some of them are true deep cuts. And uh, I am so, so, so impressed. It is so fun. And then I went online and just watched a bunch of Defying Gravities. Well, just like the last minute and a half of Defying Gravity. Do you Mm -hmm. have a favorite alphabet singing Defying Gravity? Um, I love... Obviously, I love Stephanie J. Block because she was the first alphabet that I saw. You never forget your first alphabet. No, you never do. I also, sorry, I have like, this is, this could be like a tangent, yeah, but yeah. Um, I think Jackie Burns does an amazing My first Alphaba. on Alphaba, yeah. but the one that like truly shocked me and impressed me the most was Wilhelmina Varjek. Is that how you say her name? Okay. Wilhelmina Verkaik. There you go. And uh, that's what I would say is literally the best Alphaba. Char and I saw her in London, uh, mm-hmm. West End Wicked, which like... Wicked on an accent is the way to go. That is truly mm. the way to see that show. Um, she has played Alphaba so many times. And I feel like when we had seen it, she had stepped back into the role for like mm-hmm. a few weeks. Um, she was very close to ending her Alphaba career when we saw her. The riffs on the end of Defying Gravity are n- like nothing I've ever heard in my entire yes, life. Yes, she yes. That's what I'm talking about. so powerful like the most powerhouse singer maybe ever to play that part i 100 agree there is a video that it's from bootleg sorry guys that goes around of her final defying gravity and just the way she like back phrases and riffs and like hits vibratos on all of these notes it is like i've never heard an alphabet do before and it's perfect yeah. and when i was like i was listening to defying gravity last night other people and i was like doing her riffs along the <laughs> um 
along the track, and I'm like, she she redefined Alphaba. take on Alphaba is kind of interesting because a lot of people start off like super sweet and then they get a little hard and then they end up kind of sweet at the end she kind of plays it more on like the evil side the entire time and I'm really into it yeah I I love her so yeah I haven't seen her but uh you know the boot the boot is you know what she um most recently did was she was part of the um at the Oscars this year she performed in the into the unknown uh right with all the other women around the world exactly and then I she is great. And then I also went and watched that was it the Shoshana Bean online concert with all of them singing um, Defying Gravity. And then it's been memefied, but that last part where they're all doing the final no is all over TikTok. Oh, I, wow. Yeah, it's so good. Wow. Jessica Vosk, also amazing. I love Jessica Vosk. Now that we're talking about Wicked, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, rumor has it that Lindsay Pierce from the Glee Project is like really incredible. Amazing. Yeah. So, guys, I would recommend you watch this video, but Lindsay Pierce, well, she comes up in the video, but, um, and they are very impressed with how she sounds, is all I'll say. Because it's fun to guess along with them. My obsession this week is a podcast, and it's one that I have talked about since they started, and it is Insert Movie Here, the musical. This podcast is so funny, and I keep up with it weekly. They have seven episodes out right now. I just listened to the Space Jam episode, which (laughs) I think you would really appreciate, Steph. Okay. Um, I'll tell you why in a second. But the concept of this podcast is that the two hosts, Kyle and Sam, both watch movies separately, and then they come together to discuss how they would turn it into a musical. I would love to play you every song from this, but this podcast is explicit, and we are not, so I'm not going to do that. It is such a funny podcast their back and forth with each other is amazing but the reason why i think that you would love the space jam episode Mm -hmm. is because they talk about the fact that space jam the musical should feature a basketball court a la rocky the musical yes it it just just, like comes down comes down (laughs) and it is truly like i 100 agree um one of their other episodes, they were talking about the Blair Witch Project, and they had said that Evo Van Hove would direct that, and I yes, also that's agree. Correct. That's correct. That's a really good. That's a really good take. Yes, um, and they also had said that this production would be done at like Saint Anne's Warehouse, like in the dark, Ella, Oklahoma, and I also agree with that. So, I agree with a lot of the different things that they say. And the best part of this podcast, um, in my opinion, is that at the end they choose one of the songs that they discuss to actually fully orchestrate straight right do everything and they have different people perform it every every single episode it is such a fun podcast i highly recommend you listen especially if you're a movie lover as well um their takes on the shape of water no country for old men are also pretty great so (laughs) insert movie here the musical the podcast is one that you should listen to because i'm obsessed with it Okay, I'm going to have to put it on my list. So we've been using our small platform to highlight some organizations and charities that we think are doing really amazing work. And so in light of The Lightning Thief kind of being left behind, we wanted to highlight a a theater company here in Toronto that caters musicals to young people and provides them with their first theater going experience. So the one that we're talking about here is Young People's Theater in Toronto, And they do a lot of children's shows and they cater them to young audiences to get them have their first taste of becoming theater lovers. Not only do they put on amazing performances for children, but they also run programs throughout throughout the year for kids. And unfortunately, obviously, this year is 
kind of a bust and they cannot have in-person programs. They are doing some stuff online, but they still need some donations to help keep their company afloat. So you can head over to their website at youngpeoplestheater.org to find out more about them. And we will also share their information on our social media. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at off 2 boa podcast. That's with a number two. And you can subscribe to our podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. And we would love it if you left us a rating and review. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Thank you.